Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point on this Monday, September 25th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you here up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 602-260-1060. That's the number if you'd like to chime in. 11.15 range will be the time we'll take phone calls in this hour. 602-260-1060 is the number. But let's uh, reset the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question in regards to the Cardinals 28 to 16 win over the Cowboys here which Cardinals unit impressed you the most during the win over the Cowboys and the offense out in front now 58 percent of the vote defense sitting at 42 percent okay uh, just to repeat quickly from the top of the last hour the arguments uh, for the offense would be you know, Joshua Dobbs, uh, arm and legs, and uh, he used those both uh, in his favor uh, to win the game for them on the offensive side or to get the upper hand. And on the defensive side, uh, you know, holding the Cowboys to one for five in touchdowns in the red zone. We will answer that question in more detail around 1130. Still plenty of time for you to cast your vote. KDOS1060.com. As for ASU, it didn't result in a win, but they certainly pushed USC. Are you encouraged about ASU the rest of the season after the competitive loss versus USC? This is on Twitter at KDOSAM1060. No continues to lead the way. 57.1% of the vote. Yes, sitting at 42.9%. Uh, ASU looked like a you know, football team to some degree. At least they were organized. I don't think I thought they were you know, tremendously unorganized, uncoached, uh, poorly coached. You had you know, ten guys on the uh, you know, field on defense in uh, week two. Had twelve guys on the uh, on the uh, on the field offensively twice in week three. Uh, but you know, Dillingham now calling the plays on offense and. Clearly, uh, when he's got time for the quarterback, you know, no matter who it is, and I don't know if ASU has an above-average quarterback of any of these four guys, quite frankly, but whenever the quarterback had time, he actually you know, designed plays to get the uh, – they've got playmakers with Scatabo and uh, you know, Badger and also Conyer, the tight end. Uh, you know, they, they made some plays when they got those guys the ball. Unfortunately, they had 14 plays that resulted in tackles for loss, and they're without four starting offensive linemen. And I think a lot of people thought before this season started, even with a healthy offensive line, that that was the weakness of their team. And we will get into more of that in the contest itself uh, in the 1130 segment over on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060 if you'd still like to cast your vote. Let's get into more around college football here, and we'll start with the Ohio State and Notre Dame game here. Ohio State gets the victory 17-14. to 14. Uh, The big thing that obviously everyone noticed – Notre Dame, the last two plays of the game, only had 10 players on the field for that second and third and goal. Uh, so that was a huge takeaway. I'll first stop there with your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, they had already blown all their. Well, I shouldn't. I guess I can say they blew all their timeouts because if they, you know, and uh, you know, basically they knew by the second play that they had ten guys in the field after they finally figured it out. They've got seven hundred assistant coaches in all levels of football, uh, at least college and pro. And you would think that they would be able to figure these things out, but they didn't. Ohio State, I don't think it was necessarily by design, but they actually ran the final play right at the spot where the 10th player uh, should have been the 11th player. (laughs) And uh, they were able to score a one-yard touchdown and barely got in. Ohio State, uh, Kyle McCord, I think he did a really nice job, especially in that final drive. Yeah, you know, 65 yard drive. He made a couple of insane throws. Uh, so I didn't really have any questions ever about his, you know, the accuracy or his arm strength. And uh, he did a really good job and uh, they won the game. Their offensive line, which I've been questioning before the season even started, I thought was also, once again, subpar. Uh, they did get dominated at the line of scrimmage, on, surprisingly to me, a little bit on both sides of the ball. The Ohio State defensive front, uh, not very effective, but they made enough plays to basically keep Notre Dame out of the end zone for the first half. Got kind of pushed around the second half. Ohio State, let's face it, folks, they were lucky as hell to win that game on Saturday night. But yeah, they had what turned out to be the quarterback that made good, more good plays than the more accomplished Sam Hartman, who actually left some points on the field for Notre Dame. Yeah, that was going to be my next question here. What do you make of Sam Hartman's play? Statistically here, 17 of 25, 175 yards and one touchdown. Uh, obviously, the play with Sam Hartman to move the ball offensively greatly improves over what Notre Dame had last year. But uh, maybe I was expecting just a little bit more. Well, the drop touchdown certainly didn't help him any. That would have increased his numbers and given him another six, seven points, depending on whether they made the extra point. And Notre Dame has a kicker situation, too, by the way, uh, which I kind of thought might be the case. Uh, but after Saturday, I think that they have a kicker situation uh, that they need to take care of. Also, they had horrendous play calling, uh, Notre Dame did, in addition to not having enough guys in the field in defense. Uh, their offensive play calling, what turned out to be their final offensive drive, was inexplicable. Uh, throwing two passes. The third pass I could kind of get, but the second down screen pass, which turned out to be incomplete, Ohio State was able to save their, uh, their a couple of timeouts for the final drive when they had their they, one timeout, excuse me, uh, for the final drive when they had the ball. Uh, I thought it was a horribly coached game by Notre Dame on both sides of the ball when the game was on the line. Did the game live up to the hype for you? Well, yeah, for the wrong guy to ask. <laughs> I mean, maybe a more independent observer. Uh, the, if I were just kind of watching this game, um, you know, it was you know, close and physical, etc. But, you know, I don't know if I would come away saying that either of these teams are going to win a national championship. Then again, I'm not exactly sure who in college football is playing at an enormously high level right now. I might actually say Penn State has played better than anybody uh, so far in the entire nation, let alone the Big Ten. Uh, but uh, you know, the fact that uh, you know, just you know, selfishly speaking, uh, Ohio State's never lost to Notre Dame in my lifetime. 
they're six and zero. I actually have been at three of those games. I went to the game in Columbus in 1995, uh, which was one of the fun days of my life. And they played two bowl games here in the Fiesta Bowl. They beat them at Sun Devil Stadium one year, and they beat them in Glendale just you know, two, three years ago, or two, three seasons ago. So uh, you know, good for them, and, uh, but I'm not sure. I don't think we've seen a, really enough from these teams in the first three weeks to think, of, whoa, they're going to be in the college football playoff. Both of these teams need to get better. I think Notre Dame has a really bad scheduling spot this week, which I've actually mentioned last week. They play at Duke this week, and Duke is uh, hosting college game day football-wise for the first time ever. And uh, I mentioned it after they beat Clemson. I think the Duke is pretty good, and uh, you know they're they're going to get a chance to prove it on Saturday. Absolutely. Um, we'll of course look forward to previewing that game a little bit later on in the week. Florida State and Clemson, a Florida State victory 31 to 24 in overtime. FSU never led in regulation, but they won the game. FSU 20 carries as a team, 22 total rushing yards as a team. Did we come away impressed with FSU? Uh, they got lucky, I guess so. I mean, they didn't have a lead, as you mentioned, they didn't have a lead until the overtime. Jordan Travis, clearly not 100% with the left shoulder injury. You know, he made some big-time throws in this game, and they didn't give up on those big-time plays. And Mark Norvell stayed with it. And, you know, one big thing that happened in this game that kind of got lost in the shuffle uh, near the end, of the, I think it was the next-to-last play of regulation, uh, is when, uh, you know, the Nate Wiggins, who's by far Clemson's best corner, uh, injured injured a low, lower leg. I'm guessing he's. You know, I would. You know, God bless him if he comes back and plays anytime soon. That would be very impressive if he has those recuperative powers. Uh, but he got injured, and then uh, the touchdown pass in the overtime period. You uh, Florida State with Nor- Norvell. They they attacked his replacement. That was the game winning touchdown. As it turns around, uh, turns out. Excuse me. Clemson's defense was really good. Their front seven which has been historically very good, uh, was good again. And uh, you know, I was really surprised because Florida State, we think, has a pretty good offensive line, but they weren't able to do anything on that side of the ball. Also, this is a game where I thought Clemson did everything humanly possible uh, to give this game away in the fourth quarter. And uh, it kind of confirms what my suspicions were. You know, Clemson's lost a lot of assistant coaches to head coaching jobs and some head coaching jobs that those guys weren't ready for. Uh, but, uh, you know, Dabo is uh, – the staff has suffered in, you know, I think big time. And that was, this was a circus in the fourth quarter with just stupid decisions. Uh, I don't know what they were doing on the fourth down clock management, fourth quarter clock management. And the third down play when they only needed one yard, they went to a RPO and – you know, the club Nick I think, just made the wrong decision, and Dabo was not happy about that because he was right. Uh, they lost yards on that play on an outside pass to a wide receiver, which should have just been run the ball up the middle with maybe the best running back in the ACC, but they didn't give him the ball. And I think Clemson deserved to lose this game because of poor coaching decisions in the fourth quarter. 
Oregon blew out Colorado 42-6. to I mean, I think that we had both thought that there was a considerable advantage on the offensive and defensive lines for Oregon here. We had chronicled just how challenging it was for Colorado to pass protect as well as establish anything on the ground game. Uh, I don't know if you expected this kind of uh, blowout 42-6. to Oregon had 240 yards on the ground to Colorado's 40. Oregon also had seven sacks. Colorado didn't help matters much with 12 penalties. I really wasn't that surprised, to be honest. Uh, you know, they had uh, halftime, it was 35 nothing, and, and uh, Colorado had four first downs. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, and I've been mentioning this for weeks, uh, you know, you know, Shadour Sanders is never going to make it through the regular season with this offensive line. I mean, he just gets pummeled every game. And, uh, uh, I think he got kind of lucky that, uh, you know, I think that Colorado, they could have lost this game. If Oregon wanted to run up the score in this game, they could have won this game by you know, another 20 points if they wanted to. Sticking in the Pac-12 here, you had the UCLA and Utah showdown. Uh, Cam Rising ended up not playing. To start the game, you had a pick six uh, thrown by UCLA's quarterback, Dante Moore. In fact, Utah's defense was swarming with seven sacks. Moore was 15 of 35, 234 yards, one touchdown, one interception. And I would say uh, that that line doesn't really tell the whole story as a lot of that yardage came late in the fourth quarter. This was another unwatchable game. I know it was close in one possession at the end, but this was uh, not good football, quite frankly. And uh, Utah's defensive front with several players not playing because of injury. And once again, I think Utah has now reached the top of our list as we can't really believe anything they say or what people think are going to happen injury-wise for Utah. Yeah, They don't ever declare anything even after the fact. And uh, so good luck if you want to try to handicap it. I'm done handicapping Utah games. I got lucky in this game, quite frankly, but I'm, I'm just going to take my money and run at this point. Uh, it was, uh, you know, the, the, the MVP of this game was, I'm going to mess up his last name here. My apologies. Jack Bur, uh, Burmeister. I mean, that's my best guess. My apologies. But he was the punter. And he was by far the most valuable player in this game. Then you also have Ole Miss and Alabama here. Alabama 24 to 10. Jackson Dart was 20 of 35, 244 yards and one interception. Bama on the ground, 131 team rushing yards. Jalen Milrow back in the starting spot at quarterback, 17 of 21, 225 yards, one touchdown, one pick. You said it when we were talking about things on Friday spread uh, on Friday and that you just can't trust Lane Kiffin until he does it, and he didn't do it. No, and they really – this was – talk about this was the worst played first half of any top 25 matchup in the history of the sport. I mean, it was awful. I mean, it was just terrible football. Uh, you know, so they played the second half, and Alabama discovered its running game. What a concept for the first game in like four four games this year, first time all year. Uh, Milrow made a terrible interception in the end zone in that first half, kind of contributed to the uh, level of low play. Uh, But in the second half, they pretty much ran the ball. He ran the ball a couple times, made a big throw down the field to help. But uh, the biggest mystery here 
as far as these two teams, to me at this point, is what has happened to Mississippi's running game? They have some of the same offensive linemen they had last year. Yeah, I know that they've had some, you know, a couple of running back injuries, but they had like three guys last year, and they ran the ball really, really well. I mean, they were amongst the leading rush, rushing teams in the country, and now they can't do anything. And Alabama's defense has, I think, not been bad at all this year, quite frankly, with the exception of a couple deep balls in the Texas game. But uh, the old Miss offensive line and uh, the old Miss situation, if they were ever going to beat uh, Alabama, it would have been on Saturday. Uh, then you also have the other Pac-12 contest here, Oregon State and Washington State. Washington State with a victory 38-35. to Cam Ward, 28 of 34, 404 yards, four touchdowns. He also had nine carries, 14 yards, and a touchdown. And they were able to, the Cougars there, to be able to withstand a late rally by Oregon State. As expected, though, Oregon State was able to capitalize on the ground game, 38 carries, 242 yards as a team. They were never going to lose this game. I don't care what happened in the last five minutes. I mean, they weren't going to. They weren't going to give. They, you know, the worst onside kick at the end of the game in the history of the sport, uh, which you know that kind of sealed the game. But my apologies to Washington State. Uh, I just didn't believe in them after the first three games. I do now. Uh, they easily were the best team in this game. Easily the best team. Uh, you know, the fact that they just had 528 yards. I was stunned at Oregon State's lack of tackling. And uh, I knew that their secondary might have some issues because they got new guys. But uh, they were really bad on defense. And the fact that they just weren't prepared uh, because of you know, partly the easy, really the easy early season schedule, uh, they weren't equipped physically to deal with Washington State's offense uh, with all the uh, speed and Cam Ward on that side of the ball. And uh, once again, my apologies to Washington State. They're good, better than I thought. I'm not even sure. uh, They might be the second best, third best team, third best probably. I'm still not buying in on Washington, even though they won 100 to nothing, even though they gave up a whole bunch of points to Cal, which is difficult to do so. So I'm even a little more suspect on Washington now than I was before because they gave up 30-some points to Cal, uh, which is a not good offense. Yeah, that was going to be my question here about Oregon State on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, And do you have concerns now on a short week playing a very physical Utah team? Well, God knows who's playing for Utah. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, I'm done handicapping Utah games until the end of time or – Further, unless I change my mind. So who knows who's going to play for Utah until the game actually starts. And uh, so I'm done with them. So good luck. If Utah wins, I'll congratulate them afterwards. I'm not wasting my time handicapping Utah games for a till further notice. And that's not going to be this week. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. We will get to your calls on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060, Monday Night Football. There's actually two games tonight. Uh, Eagles-Bucks, 4.15 p.m. on ABC, and Rams-Bengals, 5.15 p.m. on ESPN. As for uh, Bob, he had a conversation with Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Inquirer talking about the Bengals as they're trying to avoid uh, going down uh, 0-3 to start the season. 
and all eyes are on whether or not Joe Burrow is set to play. You can always podcast those interviews at KDOS1060.com. More is next. I'll turn those picks into gold. Wall-to-wall NFL coverage and the biggest stories coming to you from 3 to 5 p.m. The Rich Eisen Show here in KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Monday, September 25th, here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. As promised, we'll get to phone calls, 602-260-1060 in just a minute. Uh, updating things going on in New York with the Diamondbacks facing the Yankees. Uh, Merrill Kelly just gave up a two-run home run to Wells, and so it is now tied 2-2 in the bottom of the fourth, and yet... Uh, work yet to be done in the bottom of the fourth as there is uh, no one out and a man on first. Yeah, this has been a case more of the times than not here lately is that Merrill Kelly has serious command issues in this game. He got by for a while. He made it through the first inning miraculously uh, when Wells hit into a double play, but you know this time, second time around, Wells hit the home run and Wells, a University of Arizona alum, uh, so Donald Thop, he's only been up for a couple weeks. I'm not sure if that's his first major league homer or not, but uh, that's what has happened there. So good for him, bad for the Diamondbacks, and uh, they are you know, teetering on the edge here. There's the season's over on Sunday, the regular season, and uh, you know there are two games up in the loss column, but uh, they lose this game that takes care of that and slices that in half, and uh, the, the Marlins are. A mess right now, and Alcantara has been officially ruled out for the rest of the season after he had the rehab start last Thursday and uh, reported pain in the elbow the next day. And I don't think they've officially announced this yet, but I would be not surprised if he's headed for Tommy John surgery and not all that surprised because Alcantara entering this season had pitched more innings than anybody in Major League Baseball over the last three years. Quickly to your point here on the standings, you have the Braves. They got to 100 wins so far, 156. Dodgers 96 and 59. The Brewers 88 and 68. NL wild card. Phillies 87 and 69. The D-backs 82 and 73. Cubs 82 and 74. The Marlins one game back at 81 and 75. And the Reds 80 and 77, two and a half games back. As promised, 602-260-1060 is the number. Let's pop on out to the KDOS hotline. Appreciate the patience. Matt in Phoenix, how are you today? Good, Bob, Kayla. Hope you guys are well and had a good weekend. Um, speaking of Alcantara, real quickly on him, he threw a lot of, uh, I guess I'll use the word meaningless innings last year in September. Um, but I think yeah. it was for the Cy Young chase and kind of questioned it at that time, and maybe it doesn't change anything, but... Wasn't a fan of that decision, um, and and you know maybe that's kind of the cause for for these injury issues. I'll just extend that further. I think you make a case that he's thrown a lot of meaningless uh, in innings in his career because they yeah. were never any good till this year. That's fair, absolutely. Um, wanted to touch on uh, Washington State, Oregon State. Um, I thought uh, a lot of people believe the big issue for Oregon State coming into the year would have been the secondary. It was obviously yep. atrocious. Um, on Saturday, was that more good Cam Ward or bad Oregon State? 
Well, I think that's bad Oregon State, but the thing that most surprised me about that game, and I wasn't surprised once they fell behind or watched the first, like, three drives. Yep. But they got their, they got their ass kicked at the line of scrimmage in that game, especially in the defensive front. They did. They did. Um, you know, the secondary <laughs> probably isn't a concern this upcoming week with Utah's uh, struggles to throw a forward pass, but – um, obviously, getting uh, dominated up front is certainly something you got to watch out for against that team. Um, as far as uh, the college football weekend, um, two teams that won, maybe not impressively. One of your long-term thoughts on them, and that's Florida State and Ohio State, who both may have been a little fortunate to get out uh, of their respective games of victory. Well, I'll just throw them together. Both their offensive lines – <clears throat> you know, one I thought was going to be really good, Florida State, not yep. good. And uh, the Ohio State offensive line, which was my biggest question to them before the season started, not good again. And uh, other than when they played Western Kentucky, who played a bunch of very small players and their defensive front and played some two-man defensive line against Ohio State, that's the only time this season Ohio State's been able to really run the ball. Interesting. Okay. I know the uh, next matchup we'll, we'll figure some things out is against Penn State, who, as we've discussed, doesn't really beat good teams, including this weekend when Iowa was atrocious. Well, they don't play um, so, Penn State next. So. Yeah, I, I think that's the next game we'll have a somewhat of a challenge. Yeah, that's several weeks from now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, lastly, Kayla, I wanted to ask you, it is officially Ryder Cup week. Um, any thoughts? Uh, considering a lot of steam here in the betting market on Team Europe and considering um, a, a numerous amount of, of players on that side seem to be coming in with some form. Um, your thoughts on the potential outcome here, and, and I'll hang up and listen. I appreciate you guys always. Yeah, so to your point here, uh, currently the odds to win uh, the Ryder Cup over on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, winner uh, USA minus 110, Europe plus 120, tie 11 to 1. But uh, that was vastly different a couple of couple of weeks ago, and def- uh, to your point there, Matt. But the long-standing history of the United States not being able to get a victory in the Ryder Cup on European soil, I think, is really hard to ignore. To your uh, point as well, Team Europe seems to have a lot of players uh, coming in, playing in really good form, uh, and they were playing over in Europe as well, so continuing on with some of those types of style of golf courses and things of that nature. I saw this video of someone dropping a golf ball into the rough for this week's uh, Ryder Cup and I don't know where specifically this was on the golf course so I'm not sure if it was you know just off the fairway or if you were deep into miss hitting it but uh, it it was completely buried so if they play the rough like that it could be quite wild to see uh, how players need to be you know, what's interesting about your pods and your teams and how you're going to be able to have your pairings and things of that nature. But I think Team Europe, despite not having uh, some of their quote unquote stalwarts who defected to live, are in prime position to uh, retain the cup or win the cup. Uh, I know that retain and win have been quite controversial words over the weekend with what happened with the Solheim Cup and uh, Team Europe retaining the cup uh, for for things this past week over in Spain. 
but I would say uh, Team Europe certainly has a very good opportunity to to get another win here in the Ryder Cup. Team USA, it was nice to see Justin Thomas a couple of weeks ago at the Fortinet play well. Uh, some of the key components to his game that certainly started to drift away as the putter has always been hit or miss for him but it's the approach game seeing some of that get a little bit tighter to the hole some of that return I think was really positive to see heading into this this particular week but it should be fun uh, challenging to wake up as early as we need to to watch everything but uh, in general the Ryder Cup is always a, a fun time and a fun atmosphere to uh get to watch and, and see poll question time is coming up next here on kdus am 1060 bringing you the latest sports topics weekly right here on kdus am 1060 with me the doug Gottlieb show 1 to 3 p.m Eleven thirty-eight here on KDOS AM ten sixty. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS ten sixty dot com and with the KDOS ten sixty app powered by Superbook Sports. Still time for you to download the KDOS 1060 app to get involved with the listener rewards that we have available for you. As it comes to the KDOS 1060.com poll question here, the Cardinals picked up a victory 20, 28 to 16 over the Dallas Cowboys. So which Cardinals unit impressed you the most during the win over the Cowboys, the offense or the defense? I'm taking the offense. Um, Thought that the offensive line, much maligned, especially by me, uh, did okay, uh, better than okay. They were able to run the ball. Uh, the Petsing's play calling was really good, and I'm really was very impressed with Joshua Dobbs. You know, we knew he could run. You know, certainly has. You know, can can throw. I mean, he's got arm strength, not great arm strength, but you know, certainly better than some of the quarterbacks we've seen or I've seen here for twenty something years. So. Um, throw all together i'm gonna you know you can make a case i made the case in the last hour for the defense if you wanted to take that side but uh i was more impressed with the offense and you know they had to they had to score some points and uh they did and uh when they needed to make a big play it was a combination of play calling and the quarterback that got them by yeah, so obviously the defense made the key interception there in the end zone. The defense also stiffened up in the red zone as the Cowboys were just one of five. So really good stuff there from the defense. Uh, but for me, I think it's about the offense because right from the start here, they took a lead. The offense uh, got the opening kickoff, went down and got three. They were able to keep it going in the first half with 21 points. I know that we might be having a different conversation here today as you uh, had the offsides penalty penalty you decided to go for two you were kind of chasing points there because you didn't pick it up you, you uh, then went for two a little bit later on but Matt Prater with his 62 yard field goal ended up kind of evening things out there so 21 points there for yourselves in the first half you had a huge ha uh, first half lead yet again so the questions for me are were you going to learn from last week how will you respond will you be a little bit more aggressive uh, in those certain circumstances circumstances and situations and I think the answer is yes I know that they started the drives in the second half with two punts but then they had that huge 69 yard play to Michael Wilson uh, and I think it was 
mightily important that they were able to cap it off with seven. That was mightily huge there for the Cardinals to to go ahead and put pressure and continue to put pressure on the Cowboys. And then just talk about the job that the offensive line did. They just gave up two sacks and they were able to just have some dominant domination there in the run game with 222 total rushing yards as a team. Uh, the defensive unit for the Cowboys was supposed to be a destroyer and the Cardinals were able to move the ball and uh, look really good while doing it. So I would say the fact that the uh, defense was able to get that interception, there was still time on the clock and the Cardinals were able to put something Uh, together offensively to go ahead and get the victory as well. Uh, I am on the offensive side. Okay, we agree. We do indeed. Uh, The offense, according to the masses, 59% of the vote. Defense sitting at 41%. This is KDOS1060.com. Flipping it on over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060. Are you encouraged about ASU the rest of the season after the competitive loss versus USC? So a couple of things that definitely stood out to me uh, in this game is obviously how aggressive that uh, ASU was. They were three of four on fourth down attempts. They tried an onside kick trying to surprise uh, USC. They also were not afraid to mix things up with Cam Scadabo, who was a key player for them. 20 carries, 111 yards, one touchdown, four catches, 79 yards, one touchdown. He also was two of three passing, and he just missed what should have been a touchdown. And I don't know that it was his fault why that did not connect. Uh, 42 yards for him. The effort, the energy, making life difficult for USC here. Um, So I I would say that there's a lot of things to take away that are encouraging. They show tremendous resilience after that tough loss to Fresno State. I think Kenny Dillingham calling plays certainly changed things up and uh, is probably the key to success there. So I'd like to see him stay in that role moving forward. They played hard. They pushed USC. Uh, So I would say say that there is plenty of things to be encouraged about from an effort side of things but again with injuries continuing to mount some limitations at the quarterback position I'm curious if it will translate into wins but absolutely love uh, some of the other things that maybe we saw confusion at times or not getting plays in that seemed to get cleaned up as well Agreed with all that. Um, I'm encouraged that they actually can look like a competent football team. Uh, They've got some good players, a few, on both sides of the ball. My biggest concern here moving forward is that the the offensive line, which was not really very good before the season started, without four starters. We've seen four quarterbacks, and quite frankly, I don't know if any of them or anything that's maybe even average, certainly not better than average, any of them. Uh, so just moving forward, I'm not sure. Other than uh, you know, they they don't play Stanford, I don't think. That's the team that has the least amount of talent in the league. And Cal, um, in spite of the second half against Washington the other day, I don't think they're very good. I really don't know how many games that ASU is going to win. I thought you know, a chance they would win zero. Uh, the rest of the season before Saturday night, but at least I was I was encouraged to you know, answer the phrasing of the question, encouraged that they can at least look like a competent football team. 
The masses are on the no side of things here at 57.1% of the vote. Yes, sitting at 42.9%. This is on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. I'm curious as to where the reasoning for no would be. So, um, yeah, let us know. Over uh, as we continue on here for a few more minutes in this segment, there's two NFL games taking place tonight. Monday Night Football, it's the Eagles and the Bucks. Uh, Eagles minus four and a half, Bucks plus four and a half. The over under sitting at 45, 415 p.m. on ABC. Baker Mayfield has surprisingly played well so far. The offense, though, I would say it has a little bit of a caveat to it because uh, of who the defenses they were facing in those first two wins. So it should be a tougher test here tonight against the Eagles. The Eagles on offense, though, has looked a little bit slow to get started. So do they get things turned around? Jalen Hurts is yet to throw for over 200 yards this season. Yeah, back to the Baker Mayfield thing. Maybe, Kayla, you know where this comes from. But whoever charged the dropped interception thing, uh, Baker Mayfield does lead the league in dropped interceptions uh, for the first couple of weeks of the season. I remember one in Minnesota, which should have been a touchdown. Uh, So that was one off the top of my head. But uh, no wagering interest in this game. I'm not buying into Tampa yet. I mean, they've got a lot of – holes in their roster and you know, I picked them to finish last in the division before this in a bad division uh, before this season started clearly Carolina is much worse than Tampa and I think that Carolina is a candidate for the worst team in the NFL at this point no matter who the quarterback is I don't really care uh, but you know their offensive and defensive line of for the most part their offensive line is terrible their defensive line to me has been surprisingly below average except for against the Saints, and the Saints' offense isn't any good. But uh, I can't make – I'm not – no wagering interest in this game, as I mentioned. I would be very surprised if Philadelphia lost the game, however. Uh, you know, I guess maybe there's a chronic problem for DBs uh, in Minnesota because there was another short – Sure thing interception that ended up bouncing off of the defender's hand into Donald Farham's hand, and he ends up scoring a touchdown for the Chargers in yesterday's game. So uh, potentially there something uh, with the dropped interception category. I wonder if there's a metric for the defenses that have the most dropped interceptions. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure there is. There's a metric for everything. That's true. Uh, the other contest here, Bob had a conversation with Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Inquirer talking all things Bengals. That game gets started with the Bengals hosting the Rams tonight, 5.15 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, Joe's Burrow's status up in the air. Haven't seen anything new here since we talked to Charlie. Uh, the Bengals looking to avoid starting 0-3. The Rams have been a surprise here. Obviously, Puka at wide receiver taking things by storm. Stafford has looked really good to start this seasons you have to wonder uh you know just how healthy he is for how he's looking comfortable and slinging the ball around like he like he has a couple of years ago um and then my questions are do we know enough about this Bengals defense in terms of the second secondary is it gelling can Stafford kind of pick it apart yeah I got no reason to make a case on either side in this game quite frankly but I'll take the Bengals I just think they're a better team. I'm not buying into the Rams. Now, the betting market certainly thinks that uh, Burrow's playing because this point spread has gone to three. Literally, I've got all these key casinos in Las Vegas in front of me right now as far as their updated spread. And 
this game sometime between like 9.30 and 10 o'clock, everywhere moved from two and a half to three everywhere. In fact, there's actually some minus three laying juice at this point at Circa in Las Vegas. And so the betting market, which is oftentimes correct, in fact, more times than not, as far as these type of situations, somebody knows something, uh, etc., uh, to my knowledge, is uh, to my knowledge, though, neither Schefter or Rappaport has reported anything. I saw Laura Rutledge just reporting from Cincinnati, and you know, she didn't have any word of whether Burrow was going to play or not. But the betting market certainly indicates that he will. You mentioned Stafford, win healthy. Nobody has ever questioned his arm strength unless they just don't know anything about football. And he's looked really good uh, the first couple weeks of the season. And actually, surprisingly, he hasn't been hit that much because this offensive line's not good. Uh, yeah, we discussed that. We were very concerned about the offensive line. And uh, maybe, you know what I should look up? I should see how quickly he's getting the ball out uh, this season well, to see if that's helping things. Yeah. Well, I don't think so. My guess is the eye test tells me. I mean, I'm sure the metrics will prove me to be wrong because we don't seem to agree with metrics and eye tests too much. Not you and I, but just the numbers and what I see. But he's throwing the ball down the field, and you can't be doing that. You can't get rid of the ball fast and throw it down the field because last I saw, the receivers had to have enough time to run down the field. To answer your question, 2.65 seconds to get the ball out, and he's completing uh, average uh, completed air yards is 6.6. Average intended air yards is 8.3. So he's definitely throwing the ball down the field, uh, and his offensive line is doing a good job so far. We wrap it up next. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. Monday, September 25th edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's that time once again, though. It is thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, and whatever else slipped through the cracks. Also, our guest today, Charlie Goldsmith, who covers the uh, uh, Cincinnati Bengals for the Cincinnati Enquirer. Uh, got as much as we could from Charlie then about uh, Joe Burrow. And if he doesn't play, what we could uh, maybe expect out of Jake Brownie. Uh, so there's that. Uh, by the way, tomorrow, uh, back to the uh, Tuesday regular routine at 9:15 fantasy football update uh, with John McKechnie of rotowire.com. <laughs> Needless to say, I really haven't dived into this yet, but I'm going to be doing that this afternoon before the two games tonight. But needless to say, uh, multiple injuries yesterday in the uh, skilled position player front in the NFL. And we got plenty to discuss tomorrow with uh, with John. So uh, stay tuned for that. We're doing that uh, segment the last couple of years on Tuesdays because most people in the in the fantasy football have their waiver wire uh, either Tuesday or early Wednesday morning usually. 
Uh, so get that information out for you early in the week. Kayla is going to tell you, uh, I'll do one more thing here. Thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. Uh, Kayla is going to tell us uh, sound day courtesy of, because I lost the show sheet here somewhere in my email. All right, Fox, Major League Baseball, Pac-12 Network, CBS, NBC, and ABC. Speaking of NBC, they have announced uh, that it is the Ohio State-Notre Dame game, the second largest regular season college football audience ever on NBC, averaging 10.5 million viewers and peaking at 14.2 million on the final drive for Ohio State. So sound courtesy to all of those people. Thank you very much. As for what's coming up next here on KDOS AM 10, 60 you have uh sports map radio network from 12 to one o'clock the doug gottlieb show from one to three the rich eisen show from three to five the sports zoo with dave rooster beerstein from five to six monday night golf with ray adams from six to seven and james out west from seven to eight tonight as it is for the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's 2-2 in the bottom of the sixth. Merrill Kelly done for the day. Five innings, four hits, two runs, two walks, five strikeouts. He did give up that two-run home run, 96 pitches. So, again, uh, with some command issues, but battled to keep it uh, 2-2. That's true. And, uh, yeah, I watched much of the New York uh, you know, teams here in the last month and a half or so, uh, but uh, I've watched them the last couple of weeks here because the Diamondbacks have played them. I got no clue who some of these dudes that the Yankees have in uniform today are, including the guy that's currently pitching who has struck out four over the last two innings. I've never heard of in my life until two innings ago. Uh, that is what's going on with the Arizona Diamondbacks as they're trying to secure their place in the playoffs. As for Monday Night Football, two games once again for you tonight. The Eagles at the Bucks, 4.15 p.m. on ABC. The Rams at the Bengals, 5.15 p.m. on ESPN. And then when you took take a look at the world of soccer, Julie Ertz and Megan Rapino said goodbye to their U.S. Women's National Team soccer careers this week. Uh, obviously, Julie Ertz is uh, married to Zach Ertz and uh, he actually only had two targets in that Cardinals game after having and drop one of them mm-hmm. <laughs> after being heavily involved in the last couple of weeks uh, in the offense there but you know obviously things were working for the Cardinals on offense and what they were doing with the ground game that's true. Also, you know, the Cowboys have some linebackers that can cover tight ends pretty well. So that's uh, one of the kind of one of their strengths for sure. That'll do it for this Monday edition of the Extra Point. Everyone have yourselves a fantastic rest of the day. As Bob pointed out, the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp. Fantasy football discussion at 9.15. He gets started tomorrow at 9 a.m. Everyone have yourselves a great rest of the day.